Our scripture reading this morning is John chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. As we continue this uh, series and the second I am statement here of Jesus this morning, uh, this is John's bread of life discourse. It is a tremendously long passage of scripture. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapter. I encourage you in your own time to do so. So I'm going to pick up at verse 25. Before this, Jesus, as Mary was mentioning, had fed the multitude with, uh, with bread and with fish, and, and many had eaten. This is happening right afterwards, and I'll be referring to other parts of the discourse in the sermon, but we'll read this morning verses 25 through 40. Hear now the word of the Lord. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up. On the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. James Lind was a son of a Scottish merchant. He became a medical apprentice and enlisted into the Royal Navy. And while in the Royal Navy, he observed scurvy and its terrible effects upon the sailors. And he wanted to end it, he wanted to cure scurvy. And there were many theories going around about how to cure scurvy, and what he decided to do was to run what is perhaps uh, one of the earliest recorded accounts of a a controlled clinical trial. He took 12 men who were suffering from scurvy and broke them into six pairs, and then each pair of men he gave a different remedy. As I mentioned, there were many different options out there, many theories about what would cure scurvy. And so some he gave cider, to some he gave this elixir, to some he gave seawater, a paste including garlic, mustard seed, and horseradish, and two teaspoons of vinegar. And then to one pair he gave two oranges and one lemon a day. 
And by the end of that week, those who had received the oranges and lemons had been revived to such an extent that they began helping in the care of those others, who, their comrades, who were still sick. And Lind had identified the cure for scurvy, and that is consuming foods rich in vitamin C. Sometimes what you eat can save your life. Jesus makes a similar point in our text this morning. He calls out to the spiritually sick and he invites them to eat and live. He invited them and he invites us today to eat the bread of life. And he declares that he is the bread of life. John 6:35 Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty." I want to ask three questions of that I am statement. That will be our outline this morning. We'll ask three questions of that I am statement. The first question is this, who is Jesus? What does this I am statement tell us about the identity of our Lord, who he is? The second question we'll ask is, who are we? What does this I am statement tell me about who I am, who we are, our identity? And then thirdly and finally, we'll ask, what does this I am statement call me to do or be? What does this require of me in my life? How I live, my behavior, my actions. Those are the three questions. That is our outline. Let's look at question number one. Who is Jesus? What does this I am statement tell us about him, about his identity? Well, to understand that, we have to go back in time a bit. We have to go back to the time of the Exodus, the wilderness wanderings of Israel. When the people of Israel left Egypt and they entered into the wilderness, there was an immediate real-world logistical problem, and that was what were they going to eat? And quickly the people began to get hungry and they also began to complain about that. Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, The Israelites said to them, that is Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hungry, with hunger. They were not happy campers, right? They were hungry campers. They were craving for food. And God heard their lament. He heard their cries, their plaintive cries, and he responded to them. And this is what God told Moses. Exodus 16, verse 4, the very next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people will go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. And so God made the heavens rain bread. That bread, of course, as you know, was called manna, where God provided for and nourished His people. He, he met them in their hunger. He gave them bread from heaven and they ate it and they were filled. And now we come forward to this text here in John chapter 6. This text that is John's version of the, of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the multitude. The, perhaps arguably, the most important public sign that Jesus gave. It's the one that is included in all four Gospels, in the Synoptics and John. 
And it's in the aftermath of doing that public sign that Jesus declared of himself, I am the bread of life. And of course, his audience would have immediately made that connection back to those wilderness wandering, back to the manna in the wilderness. And if it isn't something they grasp, Jesus makes it explicit in the text. At the end of that discourse, verse 48 through 51, Jesus declares once again, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In this I am statement, Jesus declared that he is the true heavenly manna, the bread that satisfies, the bread that gives life to all who consume it. He declares, I am the bread of life. So what does that tell us about the identity of Jesus, who he is? It tells us four things about Jesus. First, it tells us that he is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the one who administrated bread in the old covenant. Jesus has come to eclipse his work, and he does so here by giving people bread in the wilderness. Second thing it tells us is that Jesus not only gave the bread, but he is the bread, something Moses could never claim. Jesus is the manna that is rained down from heaven. The third thing it tells us about Jesus is that he is divine, that he is divine. He is the bread that comes from heaven. He identifies that he is not from these parts. He is not from around here. He has come from another place. He has come from heaven. He is the divine bread. And that way he declares that he is God. That he is truly the I Am. And fourthly, by this we learn that Jesus is the only way to life eternal. He identifies himself as that bread that brings life. He is the only way to experience that life everlasting. That's what this I am statement tells us about Jesus, about who he is. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He is the manna itself. He is the divine manna, and he is the manna that gives eternal life to those who partake of it. That's who Jesus is. That's what he was declaring about himself when he declared, I am the bread of life. So the next question is, who are we? What does this I am statement tell us about who we are, our identity? Well, this I am statement sheds great insight, fundamental insight about the human condition, about who we are. We are the hungry. We are the hungry. We crave. We have appetites. And we want them to be satisfied. You could say to be human is to be hungry. We hunger for so much. We want so much. We have these appetites within us. And, and many of them, it, it, leads, it, it influences many of our behaviors. Think about that in your own life. What you want, what you hunger for, what you yearn for, it drives what you do, what you are willing to do, both good and bad. Our hunger drives our appetites and even our sins. Greed is the hunger for money, 
Lust is the hunger for sex. Pride is the hunger for power. And it seems like we never have enough. Our hunger persists. We want more. As Springsteen put it in that great song, Badlands, poor men want to be rich, rich men want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. That's who we are. It's never enough. We're never satisfied. Isn't that true in your own life? There always seems to be something more that you want. You get something and then you want something more. And sometimes it, it leads to our downfall. I, I, sometimes I watch, you know, or I'm reading a book or I'm watching a film and, and it's that story about someone driven, right? They're driven by an appetite for something and they're pursuing it and, you know, and they get it and, and you think to yourself as you're watching it, like, why don't they just stop now? You know, you can tell the arc of the story. You know where it's going and they, and they go on and they go on and they pursue more and eventually it destroys them. And you just think there, that's how I often react. Like, why, why couldn't they just have stopped there? It's because we're hungry. We're hungry. We have appetites and we consume things and they don't satisfy us and we just keep pursuing them. To be human is to be hungry, and it's not all bad. Our, our hungers are good things. It's, it is part of what makes us, it leads us to scientific inquiry. It leads us to make the world a better place to try things. We hunger. We hunger for love. That's a, a good thing. We hunger for significance and for meaning. That's a good thing. We hunger for belonging and for community. We hunger, but we never seem to be satisfied. As Mick Jagger put it, you can't get no satisfaction, right? Or as Springsteen put it, everyone has a hungry heart. That's who we are. Isn't that true of you? Don't you feel that? Don't you sense that in yourself? There's something you want right now. There's something you are hungering for right now. It's who we are. To be human is to be hungry. And that's one of the things that Jesus reveals to us in this I am statement. He's showing us that we are the hungry. That we are like the Israelites in the wilderness. We're hungry. We want something. We're like that multitude that Jesus fed. They were hungry and Jesus fed them. He's trying to point out a very basic thing about the human condition, that we are the hungry. But he tells us something else about ourselves as well. His insights go deeper than just that fundamental insight about our human hunger, our appetites, our perpetual appetites. He also goes a little bit deeper in and he begins to critique and criticize our diet what we choose to eat, how we try to satisfy our hunger. He tells us we're eating the wrong stuff, the wrong foods. Verse 26 of chapter 6, Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not work for the food that perishes. Jesus is pointing out a contrast. He's trying to show us that that diet is not going to bring you satisfaction. 
That's not the point. You're often eating the wrong things, things that will not lead to being satisfied. You're making bad food choices. You're making dietary choices that are bad for your health. And isn't that true of us? How these hungers, even hungers for good things, like hungers for love, can lead us in directions that are destructive, right? The hunger itself isn't bad. It's the misdirected. It's the way we choose to satisfy it in the wrong ways. Jesus points that out. He's critiquing our diet. He's telling us that some things that we do, some things that we partake of, some things that we eat are bad for our health. Think about Israel in the wilderness. What did they want to do? What did their hunger lead them to desire? They wanted to go back to Egypt because, hey, that's where the good food was. But that would have been death. Sometimes our hungers misdirect us, lead us in the wrong way. And Jesus talks about that. He reveals that about our nature. Sometimes hunger leads us to do unhealthy things. As I was researching this sermon, I came across an academic article written by researchers at the University of Colorado Medical Campus. And what they were researching was obesity, and particularly the prevalence of obesity in lower socioeconomic tiers of society. Why is there a greater percentage of obesity in those who have least amount of means? And of course, a variety of hypotheses have been offered to explain that dynamic, that reality. One of them is the availability hypothesis. That basically is that there's a lack of access to good food in lower socioeconomic neighborhoods. There's a concentration of fast foods. There's a lack of good grocery stores, that type of thing. There's a lack of availability. Another hypothesis is the economic hypothesis, and that basically is is that good food is too expensive, right? And you know that, right? You try to buy organic food or fresh food, it's more expensive. And so some have tried to explain it by simply a lack of economic resources. But these particular researchers have suggested a possible alternative cause, an evolutionary cause, an evolutionary biological cause that they describe as the adaptive strategy hypothesis. And they suggest the cause for higher prevalence of obesity among those in the lowest socioeconomic scale is because they have known food scarcity. They have known food scarcity. They know what it's like to be hungry. And what does that lead you to do? To survive, to live. Well, it might lead you to consume calories, more calories, and maybe from bad choices, all in a sense of storing up because you know what it's like to be hungry to go without. And this is just that's one reason why people make poor decisions regarding their nutrition. They overeat, they store up calories, they make poor dietary choices. Sometimes that hunger we have, knowing that hunger, leads us into making bad health choices. It's true physically, and it's true spiritually. It's true spiritually. Let me ask you this morning... Let me ask you to do that, to critique your own. How's your diet? 
Like, what is the stuff that you're eating? You know, how, what you're consuming, the, the choices you are making to satisfy your appetites, even the good ones. What, what are you choosing to eat, to consume? Is it good for you? Or is what you are consuming, consuming you? Is it, is it taking life from you? Is it destroying you? I mean, is it time to change your diet? Is it time to change what you're doing, to change your choices you are making to satisfy the hunger in your life? Sometimes we do that, right? Sometimes we make these radical changes in what we eat, what we choose to consume. And when does that usually happen in our lives? Anybody? New Year's. New Year's. New Year's, New Year's is one time. Sick. Stress, right? Something happens. A health event happens, right? You have that heart event. Something happens in your life, and you, know, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you better change it. And then you see people do that, right? People who go through a heart event or go through cancer, they, fight, they have erratically reoriented their diet because something has really disrupted their life, like shaken them out of something where they have to make changes. That's a disruptive event. What I'd like to submit to you is that Jesus is really trying to talk about that in this text, that he is that exogenous kind of disruptive heart event. When he comes into your life, it's like that medical scare where he's saying to you, you got to watch what you eat. You have to change your diet. You have to think about what you consume and what it's doing to you. You need to make healthier choices. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. How's your diet? Are you eating that food, that bread of life? Are you eating basically spiritual junk food? Are you consuming the bread of life? You see, Jesus here has great insight into who we are. He gives us great insight into ourselves. He tells us we are the hungry. To be human is to be hungry. You have appetites. I know it. I get it. I am human too. I share that nature. Your problem is that your hunger is leading you in the wrong direction, leading you to try to satisfy it in the wrong ways, leading you to unhealthy choices, I have come to provide you life. That's what this I am statement tells us about who we are, our identity. So far we've seen that Jesus is the bread of life, right? That's his identity. The manna from on high, manna from heaven, come to give us eternal life. We have seen that we are hungry. We are those who yearn and have appetites and we often make poor choices in our diets. And so we come now to question number three. What does this I am statement call me to do or be? Knowing those things about Jesus and ourselves, what does this I am statement call us to do or be? What is my response to it? Let me give you three things this morning. Two things to do, one thing to be. The first thing to do is this. The first imperative that flows from this I am statement is to eat. To manja. To eat the bread of life. That's the imperative here. It goes throughout this. You must eat the bread of life. It is even explicit and graphical in this. It's, it's, uh, this imperative is to consume Jesus. That's what he says. 
Listen to these verses, 53 through 56 of John 6. So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. It could not be more clear. Eat, Jesus says. Eat the bread of life. But be honest with me. As I read those verses, did they, were they a bit disquieting to you? Like maybe a little cringe factor to the whole thing, right? A little bit, it's a little bit shocking, aren't they? They're, they're very, it's very stark language. It's a little bit off-putting, isn't it? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Why would Jesus use that type of language? It's so easily given to misinterpretation, right? You can, it almost seems cannibalistic, right? There's, there's no wonder the early Romans thought that Christians were cannibals when we said things, Jesus said this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. It's a bit off-putting. Why does Jesus do that? And it was off-putting to his original audience, by the way, not just a modern audience. It was off-putting to them. Verse 60 of the text says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? In verse 66, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. Jesus' words were no more easy to accept then than they are now. Why does he do this? What is he trying to get at? Now, some scholars uh, talk about this as this is John's Eucharistic discourse. There's no Last Supper in John, so this is where he does it. It's really just about the Lord's Supper. I mean, I don't, I'm not convinced that that's right. I don't think that's right. I mean, I can understand why people come to that conclusion. I don't think this is the Lord's Supper uh, in John. I think Jesus is getting at something else, something more powerful and deep, and that is that in order to live, we need to really consume Jesus in a real way. We have to partake of him. I think he uses that shocking language to get that through our heads. Not that we're cannibals, not that we're literally taking his flesh, but I think he wants us to get as close to that idea as possible. That salvation is only possible if Jesus is in here, not out there. He can't be external to you. He can't simply be an abstract idea. He can't be a doctrine. He can't be a confessional thing. He can't simply be a profession of faith. He must enter into you. And you must abide in Him, and He must abide in you, and you must partake of Him. You must consume Him. And what better way to illustrate that than what we do with food each and every day? We take it into ourselves so that we can live. And Jesus says, you must do that with me. Have you partaken of Christ? Is He something that is inside of you? Is He in your heart? Is He in you? Or is He out there? The bread of life does not help you unless you partake of it. 
Joy Davidman, who was a spouse of C.S. Lewis, she wrote a book on the Ten Commandments, and she wrote this about the first commandment. She said, Today the commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, must include, Thou shalt have me. Thou shalt have me. Do you have him in that way? That intimate way. James Boyce, in his commentary on this, I think brings a nice illustration to this. He says, is he, is Jesus as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? Do not think me blasphemous when I say that he must be as real and as useful to you as a hamburger and french fries. I say this because although he's obviously far more real and useful than these, the unfortunate thing is that for many people, he is much less. What is he to you? What is he to you? Jesus says you must partake of me. You must consume me. I must be part of who you are. What Jesus calls you to do in this I am statement is to eat, to eat and live, to consume him and live, to abide in him. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. This morning, partake of Christ. Partake of Him. Make Him part of your life. And the way you do that is simply say to Him, Jesus, I want You as part of my life. I want to dine on You. I want to satisfy my hunger for meaning, for love, for significance, for community by You. Fill me. The first thing Jesus calls us to do is to eat the bread of life. The second thing he calls us to do is to share the bread of life. To share the bread of life. Remember the context here. This is the feeding of the multitude. The bread of heaven was not meant for hoarding. It is something we must personally consume, but it is also something we must share with others. There's no food scarcity when it comes to the bread of life. We don't have to hoard it. We can share it. And Jesus wants us to share it. And he did that in that public sign of feeding the multitude. And there were even leftovers to prove the point. There is enough to go around. Share it. Share me. Give the bread of life to your neighbor because to be human is to be hungry. We know we're all hungry. Mother Teresa put it this way, in each of our lives, Jesus comes as the bread of life to be eaten, to be consumed by us. This is how he loves us. Then Jesus comes into our human life as the hungry one, the other hoping to be fed with the bread of our life. Have you ever thought of yourself as that? That you, as Christ's people, as Christ's followers, that you are the ones, just as much as the light of the world, to reflect that glory of Christ, that you can become the bread of life. Those like those disciples who take Jesus and share him with others. Share the bread of life. You know, we, we kind of walk away from that in this modern world. I mean, bringing people to church, sharing your love for Christ with people. We live in, you know, we think we're going to offend somebody. But maybe we have forgotten the idea that the church is really a food shelter. That's really what it is. It is the house of bread. It is the place where the bread of life is. And if you want to feed hungry people, 
We should do that in the food kitchens of our city and our towns and the Penfield food cupboard, all of that. We should do that. That's part of sharing the bread of life. But this is part of it too. Sharing the good news, sharing who Jesus is, sharing how he changed your life, how he satisfied your hunger. That's what we are called to do as Christians. The picture of this text is not one of scarcity, but one of abundance. We don't hoard that bread, we share it with a hungry world. The second thing this I am statement calls us to do is to share the bread of life. And then finally this morning, what to be. This I am statement calls us to be filled. To be filled. I know you're hungry. We're all hungry. To be human is to be hungry. But the promise Jesus makes here in our text is that I have come to satisfy your deepest hunger. I have come to do that. See, Jesus not only points out the problem we have, that we are always perpetually hungry, he not only comes to criticize our dietary choices, he offers us a solution. He offers us himself. I know you're hungry. I know you're prone to going in wrong directions, to eating junk food. I know that you're prone to make unhealthy choices in your life. So I have come to satisfy your hunger, hunger and to show you the way to flourish, to thrive, to be spiritually well, to take that which was broken and to put it back together again. He came to satisfy us and he declares it here in the text in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus came to satisfy the problem of spiritual hunger. And he promises if you partake of him, you will never be hungry again. That's what this means for you. That Jesus has come for you as the bread of life for you. And if you partake of him, he will provide for you a sense of meaning. A sense of satisfaction. A sense of being filled that it is enough. That you won't go hungry. But you won't know that scarcity. Let me close with this illustration. It comes from Greg Matt, um, who got it from a book by Charles Allen entitled God's Psychiatry. After World War II, Europe was overwhelmed with orphaned children. And they took the children, they cared for them in various camps. And they were well provided for, well cared for, and those who were caring for them were shocked that the children that they cared for, even though they were well provided for, that they had trouble sleeping still. They were overcome with anxiety and with fear. And so a psychologist tried, uh, to, decided to try an experiment, and he gave to each child a piece of bread before they went to sleep at night that they could hang on to in their bed. And Matt writes this in the book, There was a drastic change in the children's demeanor as they went to bed, knowing for certain that they would have food for the next day. From that day forward, the children slept in peace. The orphans of World War II were anxious because they doubted provision. Holding on to a slice of bread as they slept brought peace 
to their worried souls. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what you have every night when you go to sleep. You hold on to the bread of life. You know He is with you and He has come to provide for you. You know that you will never go hungry if you consume Christ. Because He is the bread of life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for the bread of life. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the bread that gives us life. Help us to consume it. Help us to partake of Christ, for Him to abide in us. Help us to share Him with those around us through the acts of mercy and the sharing of the Gospel. And Lord, help us to find our fulfillment and our satisfaction. Help us to be filled by Him and in Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.